0: All right. Wednesday night. I got all these books up here. But I, this is my new edition right here. It's the, uh, this is the 1828 Dictionary. Here it is. I've been telling you all about it. Look at that. Look how big it is. Now, did you know that they had this many words in 1828? That's a thick dictionary. Well, it might not be that they had more words, because we do have more words, but what I've noticed is that in the 1828 dictionary, the definitions are longer, and this particular dictionary, which Noah Webster put together, he was very good about defining The words, and he goes to the Bible over and over again and talks about if the word is used in the Bible, and very different than today's dictionaries. Now, uh, somebody might say, What do I need an 1828 dictionary when I can get a uh, a 2020? Well, when you buy one of these dictionaries, it comes with this little insert. And it gives you a reason why you might want to have the 1828. And I know why it's so thick, because I'm looking at the definition of marriage. The definition of marriage. And it has an example out of 2020, a dictionary that was a brand new dictionary from, from 2020. And it says, the state of being united as spouses in a consensual and contractual relationship recognized by law, the mutual relation of married persons, the institution whereby individuals are joined in a marriage. That's 2020. Now you go to this dictionary here from 18, it was put together in 1828. Here's the definition in that one. It's, it's twice as long. Notice the difference. The act of uniting a man and a woman for life. Wedlock. The legal union of a man and a woman for life. Marriage is a contract both civil and religious by which the parties engaged or engaged to live together in mutual affection and fidelity till death shall separate them. Marriage was instituted by God himself for the purpose of preventing the promiscuous, you know, I mean this is pretty detailed and I'm not going to read every single thing that it says, for promoting domestic felicity, and for securing the maintenance and education of children. Wow. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. That's out of Hebrews 13. So, you know, I left out a couple little words here. It's a very detailed definition of marriage. So, what's different than the new definition? The new definition doesn't mention a man and a woman. It says persons, spouses. It doesn't say anything about it being a religious joining of two people. And it doesn't say anything about marriage was instituted by God himself. That's left out. And for life was left out. Because today's definition of marriage doesn't mean for life. So isn't the old definition way better than today's? We need to get back to the old definition. And I found out that the uh, the people who put this dictionary out is the the Foundation for American Christian Education, and it's F A C E Face, FACE um, Foundation for American Christian Education. And when you look at what they have, they have a whole curriculum for kindergarten all the way through high school. And you, you can get uh, you know all these different books and that's all I needed was another source to get books. I might have to hire a helper to carry my books in. So this, is, this is getting ridiculous here. <clears throat> So I thought y'all would like to see that, and uh, it's a good... So I've already looked up, just in just in uh, putting together what I want to do tonight, I've already looked up uh, words in this dictionary. And I learned some stuff just by preparing for tonight out of this dictionary. Pretty cool. Recently, I mentioned the story of Paul and Silas going to Macedonia. And I, and I said, because we were talking about being led by the Spirit, and what does the Spirit want us to do compared to what we want to do. And I talked about how Paul, he was, going to, he was wanting to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit told him not to go there, so he decided another direction. And I, and I remember saying, Now, that's probably around Acts 15. Now, when I went on and talked about the people involved, I knew that was 16. And so I figured that the uh, whole Holy Spirit leading might have been in the chapter before, so I just guessed. Well, mostly it's all in 16, so I just wanted to clear that up. I was at uh, Chick-fil-A, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and there was a couple who were from Tennessee, and they had been to D.C. for the trucker convoy around the Capitol, and they talked about how many hours it took to get around the beltway, where you can go around the beltway really fast. If traffic's going normal, which is usually 85 to 90 miles an hour, you can get around that thing pretty fast, but usually it's 90 miles an hour, and then you're slamming your brakes on to a dead stop. And then you go back up to 90, and it's just, it's, it's crazy. I don't ever want to go back there. I've done that once. Um, you miss your exit, don't worry about it, because just keep going, and you'll come right back around to it eventually. And then, you know, your next lap, you just try to get over to the right lane. But it, they were there, and they were talking about the standing up for freedom and all this. Well, these, this couple, they were from the sticks of Tennessee, out in, the, out in, in nowhere. And they were a little bit crazy. I mean, he was, she was, she was fairly normal, but hit the, the husband, he was on fire, and he was just talking it up. And there was another regular customer that was sitting in, on the other corner from me. And everybody at Chick-fil-A knows this guy. And they were all coming around, and, and they pick at him and this, that, and the other. Well, this couple were just like, this, everybody knows this guy. So he was talking with them. And as I have sat down, I'm listening to them talk, and they were talking a bunch of religious stuff. Well, as I'm sitting there eating my lunch, one, one employee after another, and even the, one of the owners, uh, Vanessa, she comes walking down, going toward to check the bathrooms, and she's like, hey, Sean, you know. And so this couple, they're like, they're, they're laughing at each other, and they realize He's a, he's, he must be a regular, too. So when the other guy left, they get up and they look at me and they said, well, you must be a regular. And I'm like, what made you think that? Because everybody that was walking by was saying my name. So they were talking about the uh, things that they were running into and the people that they were meeting. And they were talking about being at a place where the, somebody was preaching and casting out demons and this, that, and the other, and you know? they. And so I just started, it, Acts 16 came to mind, and I just I started explaining Acts to them, and they were like, it was almost like they had never heard it before. But as much as they were talking about godly things and, and casting devils out and healing people and all this stuff, they didn't know that story. And, and she said, uh, the, the woman, she said, What was that again? And I said, Acts 16, and she's pulling it up on her phone. she got the Bible on her phone. And she, it, it was almost like everywhere they went, when they stopped somewhere, they were looking for a sign. They were looking for somebody who would pray over them. They were just looking for whatever. So if I said something about the Bible and, you know, yeah, read, read Acts uh, 16, they, were, they took it to heart. And when we, all, we left, I walked out with them, walked across the parking lot with them, and he just kept on and on and on talking about stuff, and they got in their car, and she was just reading. She was reading Acts 16. It's like they couldn't go nowhere until they read that chapter. Wow. So you can get a little bit over the top and be so spiritual-like, yeah, where it turns people off. And people like that don't turn me off. I just, I jump in and... Uh, I'll I'll talk with them, I'll pray with them, I'll do whatever. But I understand why there are people who just get so, they get turned off by somebody who's that crazy about it. So you got people who don't ever want to talk about it, too embarrassed to talk about it, and they wouldn't talk about it in a public place like that. But then you got those who are just plum extreme in it, and we need to be somewhere in the middle, I think, so that we're not scaring people off. And people will be more willing to listen if you're, you know kind of in the middle. So since that came back up again, I want to read and go over Acts 16. So you can turn in your Bibles there if you have them. Do you want to follow along? Acts 16. So the ending of 15, just talking about Paul, he picks. Uh, this is right after an argument between Paul and uh, Barnabas, and they pa- Paul had lost confidence in Mark, and this John Mark. He ended up writing the book of Mark. So uh, things got better later, but this is just to show you that you know, two very strong Christian leaders can have a knockdown, dragout fight. They can disagree and both have their points. One was maybe being too lenient, other one being too hard on him. And Barnabas decided to take John Mark with him. and what that happened what, what what happened with that is Paul ended up picking Silas. and really that's what God wanted. So instead of Paul and Barnabas being together and doing things, God basically split them up. So just because you have a separation is not always bad. It may seem bad at the time. But sometimes you can get more done for God if you separate and one person goes one way and the other person goes another way you get more ground covered. So so this that this is what has just happened as I start reading sixteen. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. So we all know T- Timothy. We I've read out of Timothy recently, which is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. Well, here's where Paul meets him. This is where Timothy comes into the picture the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now, you have to remember that that would probably not have been the best case in those days, but she, the mother, was a strong believer. And if you're over in Timothy, you'll be able to see where, it might be 2 Timothy, where uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother, they're, they're both very involved in teaching Timothy the Word of God. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of uh, by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So people knew that. That's important to understand. People in the area, they knew that Timotheus, Timothy, was, had, a, had a Greek father but a Jewish mother. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. Again, it was well known. So, people might take this, certain religious people might take this verse and say, See there, if you're not circumcised and you're coming into the faith, you need to be circumcised. Well, Paul clearly tells people that that is not going to benefit you at all if you're doing it for religious purposes. Then people, But, but, but people, look, well, why did he tell Timothy to do it here? Why did he have him circumcised here? Because he knew that they're going to be ministering and that it would help open the door to Jewish people. Remember, this is the early part of the church. And they did something that would, Give Timothy more clout with the Jewish people if he was if he was circumcised. That's the only reason they did it. It's like Paul says that you know he he makes him even though he doesn't have to do this he'll do it anyway just to be a better minister. He he's free to do this thing but he doesn't do it because it might cause problems with ministering. So he was always looking at others and being a more effective minister to others. So even though he was, it was okay for him to do certain things, if it caused a weaker brother to struggle, he would rather not uh, live in that liberty. He'd rather, he'd rather not do things. But in this situation, he knew it would be better that if Timothy was circumcised. That's the only reason they did it here. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So they're just going around and they're just educating everybody. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Don't you wish our church would increase in number daily? Now when they had gone throughout Paraguay, and the region of galatia and were forbidden of the holy ghost to preach the word in asia so that tells you that paul was trying to get to asia they needed they needed to be preached to but the holy spirit forbid them to do it wonder why well he had other plans for paul okay but it just shows you that paul is doing he's 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 saying, I know that they need to be preached to. That's where I'm going to go. But then he got stopped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost stopped them. Seven, after they were come to Mysia, it might be Mysia, they assayed, and that word assayed means they they were were purposing. They, They had made their mind up. They thought, you know what? Let's go, let's go here. The Holy Spirit's not letting us go to Asia, but I know Bithynia, Bithynia needs, needs some preaching, so let's go there. So they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Good intentions, but the Spirit said, no, 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 you don't quite have it yet. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Traos, It's Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored. Now, have you noticed up into this verse 10 that it's they, 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 they? Have you noticed that? And when I get to 10, it said, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. So what does that mean? Who wrote Acts? You know who wrote Acts? The great physician, Luke. So Luke wrote this. So he's writing, in the first nine verses, he said, they... They, they, evidently they came together there right before. They're getting ready to go to Macedonia, and Paul gets his vision, and evidently Luke has joined the, d- joined the party. So now he's talking in uh, a different tense. Now it's we. You know, he doesn't have to say, I came and joined them, because all, the way he's speaking tells us that that happened. So, every word in the Bible is so important. And you will understand it more and more as you pick up on little things like that. It'll help. Assuredly, gathering that the Lord had called us for to, because to preach the gospel unto them. Verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. What would colony mean? It's part of... It it's, would be ruled by Rome, basically. It would be under Roman authority. You know, back before we fought for our independence, we were a colony of Great Britain. So it was also a colony... And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, down by the river to pray. That's where the song, I, I preached this a long time ago and I had somebody ready to sing down to the river to pray as soon as I got to this part. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So there's a group of women that got together and went down to the river and they prayed there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. This this woman worshipped God. She knew God well. She worshipped him, heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So she was, she was a soft-hearted, very open to hear the minister of God. What was she missing? She was missing the story of Jesus. She didn't have that gospel story of Jesus crucified, buried, and rose again. He, she didn't have that, but she was a worshiper of God, and she was very open to hear it, so she was saved. As soon as she heard the message, she's like, I'm all in. Sounds good. I'm part of you guys. Okay? So that was a very easy conversion. 15. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So she, was, she had a gift of hospitality. She was very thankful for them. They were, they were men of God, and she knew that they would need a place to, to sleep, a, a meal. So she took care of them. And it came to pass as we went to prayer. So they were, this was something they were doing day by day. They were going to prayer. A certain damsel, so this is a young woman, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. And and basically, that means truth-saying. So she she had a demon that was causing her to be able to do, basically, fortune-telling. She was saying truth. And she shouldn't have known any of these things, but she had that power to do it because of a demon inside of her. And the people who were using her were making the money off of this. So she was bound by evil spirits and she was bound by evil men who used this thing that she was able to do to make money. The same, talking about this young woman, followed Paul and us, notice us, we, us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This woman... You talk about truth-saying, sooth-saying, yes, she was saying it. She knew exactly who they were and why they were there. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, and this is little s spirit. This is a bad spirit, an unclean spirit that was in her. Even though it was speaking truth, it was doing it in the wrong way. and he said, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So he pretty much right away he came out. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Well, if you are in the wrong place and you speak about Jesus, you're going to be in trouble too. You know, we're, we're heading in that direction of what was going on here way back then. We're getting to a place in this country to where if we stand up for our Christian beliefs, we could possibly go to jail. We're going to be mistreated, persecuted, and possibly be fired from our jobs, whatever. But we're, we're heading there right now. So that's what happened to Paul and Silas. So, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans." And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. Now, this isn't the magistrates take, you know, ripping off their own clothes. It's ripping off their clothes, because they're fixing to give them a good whipping. <clears throat> and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now that doesn't mean safely as don't let anybody hurt them. We, they've already hurt them really bad. It means that we're handing these guys over to you, and it's your job to make sure that they are in this prison. And you, you are if you let anything, let them go, whatever. You're going to be in big trouble. That's that's what that's saying. Now this explains that the next verse: who the jailer. Having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. Not just the, the first place he came to and locked them up. He took them to the inner part of the prison and made their feet fast or, you know, locked in the stocks. So the stocks would be, just imagine a big old railroad tie type of piece of lumber with some, some half moons cut out of it and then another one with half moons on top, and you would sit down on the rock floor and your feet would be pulled out and your bottom of your legs would be put in those holes and the other one would be laid over top and bolted down and you were sitting there with your legs stuck in this big old timber. So you couldn't move. If rats ran across you, you couldn't get away from them. "Uh, I need to go to the bathroom, too bad. And you're in the inner part of the prison locked in stocks. Now they, they, they have every right to be very upset, they're bleeding, their backs are bleeding from being whipped, their feet are locked in stocks, they have every right to be crying and begging for their one phone call, I need to see my lawyer, I mean, they, they, you wouldn't blame them for being in a rotten mood. But what did they do? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. I can remember... uh, Reading this at at the jail, and uh, we were going over this. The guys at the jail they loved this story; they just loved it. And when I got to that part about praying and singing praises to God, you know that's what we do in Bible study at jail, right? We we pray and then we sing praises. Well, especially when Hildred was there, we sang praises every week. And then I read this and be like, "Are they listening to us? They're gonna kick me out of here if I if I'm you know reading this." They're all, all going to be, the doors are going to be wide open. And, and, when, and when you got escorted out of there, there's people sitting in master control on the other side of the building that see everything on cameras. So you're walking up to a door, a big old uh, metal door, heavy metal door, and as you're walking up, they just automatically open up, and you just walk right on through. And it reminds me of this. It reminds me of uh, Peter being about ready to get his head chopped off, James has already lost his head, and Peter's next up, and uh, the angels, there's soldiers sleeping all around him, and the angels come in and said, "Peter, wake up, wake up, wake up. Why, what, what?" How many people who know that they're getting ready to have their heads cut off are going to be sleep, sleeping soundly?" Peter, no problem. I know that people are back there praying for me. I'm good. Even if they kill me, I get to go be with Jesus. No big deal. And he sound, and the angels have to wake him up, and they lead him out of there. And as they go out, all the doors opened up. It just reminds me of coming out of the Bible study over at the jail and all the doors just automatically opening up. <clears throat> all right, where was that before I went off on all that? So, he, so, so all the door, everyone's bands were loosed, and then 27... And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Now he was already instructed to keep them safely. You do not let anything happen to these people or they get away. So he knew that the punishment would be a torturous death by not doing what he was told to do. He didn't know what had happened. He didn't understand why all the doors were open, but he figured everybody was gone. He had already listened before he fell asleep. He had listened to Paul and Silas, who should have been in a very bad mood. They're praying to God and they're singing praises and is convicting all the other prisoners that are there. So much so that, next verse, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Not just Paul and Silas. You're like, Paul, look, you've been mistreated, you've been beaten, you've been thrown in jail for doing something for God, and an earthquake happened, the doors are wide open, your stocks are broken, chains fell off of you. Here's your sign. get out of here. That would have been the smart thing to do. They were concerned about the jailer. They were more concerned. They didn't care so much about their freedom and their rights and what was right for them. They were willing to give all that up so that this guy, this one person, wouldn't kill himself before being saved. And he, they said, don't hurt yourself. Not just us two are still here, but all of us are still here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They have not gone to him and said anything. They just lived a life that was way different than everybody else. They weren't crazy with it but they weren't silent with it. They were just doing what they do, praying, singing praises to God, and it was convicting people around them. So much so that this hard-hearted... You had, you had Lydia, who was a very soft heart. She was ready to listen. Then you had that damsel, that young woman. She was possessed. She needed to be delivered. And Paul said, get out. And the spirit came out of her. And then this jailer, he's the hard-hearted person that doesn't want to listen to anything you have to say. You can go to them and talk Bible to them and preach at them all you want. It's not going to do anything. But when something really bad happens to you or they do something bad to you and you have an opportunity to get back at them and you don't, you help them in the time of need, that hard heart begins to be softened. And that's what's happening right here. We're, we're getting a, an edu- education here of how you, you don't minister just one way. You've got to be led by the Spirit to minister to different people in diff- different ways. A little kid, you don't minister to them the same way you do a hard-hearted dude. I, when I would go to the, the nursing home, you minister to those ladies that are 90-plus years old differently. You just minister to them differently. So it's, I think it's the only time in the whole Bible where that phrase is used. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, what, what, what would you tell somebody who said, what must I do to be saved? There's people who say, they'll give you a list of things you got to do. Certain denominations have a list of seven or eight things and just try to do, do all these in order and then you'll be saved. Only problem is the last one is persevere to the end. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. Okay, so I won't even know if I'm saved until I get all the way to the end of my life and I die and then I can, somebody can say, well, he persevered to the end. But I never had that confidence in my whole life if I go with their, the way they do things. Yeah. So, so does Paul and Silas give him a list of things to do? How about, but they, I'm sure they're going to say, uh, you got to be baptized. I mean, that's what happened to Lydia right away. She listened to their words, and then they, they baptized her. Why? Because she believed what they had said. She was converted just like that. And they said, here's their chance to give this big long answer of what he has to do to be saved. And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thy house. If you, if you go home and you tell your family about what just happened to you, they're going to believe too. So where's the long list of stuff you got to do? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty much it. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So they gave him, you know, a good rundown of what the scripture said. And he took them the same hour of the night. This is the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their stripes. And then the jailer was baptized, he and all his house, and or he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants. It's, it's spelt differently in your King James Bible, but it's just an old spelling of, of a sergeant. Now, a sergeant with the Romans, that was, uh, he was the, uh, an officer. It's called a lictor. What would that mean, a lictor? When, when they got their whipping, They got so many licks, right? So he was in charge of carrying out the punishments. So these people came. They were representing the authorities. Uh, A sergeant would have been somebody who was sent and would go along with the leadership and protect them. They would carry an axe, some type of weapon. Sent the sergeants saying... Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. So he didn't even know. After being able to run from the jail, they didn't do it. They stayed there and they were still could have been put right back in the prison. But after all this stuff happened, the magistrates decided to send somebody in their stead to say, Y'all can leave. Well, Paul didn't go. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans. We're Roman citizens as well, and this is what y'all have done to us. And have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, But let them come themselves and fetch us out. He's, he, it's, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. You tell them, the people who are not man enough to look me in the face after doing this very wrong thing. I want them to come to me and tell me that I'm okay to go. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. They're like, oh, no, we did it to our own citizens. We didn't realize that. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren they comforted them and departed. So they ended up back at Lydia's house. She probably made sure they were fed and strength built up so they can continue on their missionary journey. So I thought that going through Acts 16 would be a good thing to do tonight. So I hope that uh, was good for you and you enjoyed that. Learn something from it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us in our Christian walk, that we would be like Paul and Silas, that we would, even though mistreated and just being dealt with in such a terrible way, that we would remember that we're being watched. That this world, this hurting world, this evil world that we live in, we need to be people who know that when bad things are happening, when we are being mistreated, that we are still to pray, we are to sing praises to you, we are are to be different so that the darkness of the world will be drawn to the light. And Father, we rest in you. We know that we cannot do those things apart from being led by the Spirit, and Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're willing to send your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And, Father, I pray that we would remember that all the time, that we have power to overcome the sinful things in this world, to overcome the temptations, and, Father, to not act out in a worldly way, but to act out in a godly way. And, Father, I pray that as we learn to do this, that maybe the churches will grow. Maybe the churches will be added to daily. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.